Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Many horses and chariots. Josephus, the Jewish historian, he says at this time that this northern confederacy consisted of 300,000 infantry soldiers, uh, uh, 10,000 cavalry troops, and 20,000 chariots. So if that estimate is true, you're talking a lot of people and a lot of horses and a lot of chariots. Horses and chariots, which Israel never had. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ Radio. There were two things that indicated that now Israel faced challenges they had never faced before. First, the size of the enemy's army. Scripture says that there were as many people as the sand on the seashore in multitude. And second, the technological superiority of the Canaanites with very many horses and chariots. The challenges brought to Israel seem to increase at each step. We often find that the challenges facing us in our Christian life increase at each step. God uses each previous victory as a springboard for what we face in the future. And now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. Land of Mizpah. Hermon, if you remember, is in the very northern part of Israel, right on the corner, right on the edge of Lebanon. And so, again, more people that he is amassing to come against Israel. And again, when you look at these names of these people, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, they, that ought to remind us of what it told us in Deuteronomy chapter 20. And let me read it for you again. It's Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. This is a verse that you ought to commit to memory, at least the scripture reference, because this is huge, because this is God's judgment against those nations. And it's important to understand that, because uh, God, again, is a God of grace, but there is a point where judgment has to come. And this is the verse where God says it, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Verses 16 through 18. Let me read it to you. And this is God's commandment concerning the lands and the peoples of Canaan. And remember, Moses is speaking this to them before they even crossed over, while he was still alive. He says, But of the cities of these peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. Verse 17, But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. So whose war is it? Whose battle is it? 
It's not really the children of Israel so much. They're being obedient. They are allowing themselves to be the, the, the tool that God is going to use to discipline these nations. He says, you shall utterly destroy them, just as the Lord has commanded you. Lest they t-, and here's the reason why. Lest they teach you to do according to their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. That is the reason. He gives the, the people that are to be destroyed and the reason why. See, God is not, again, he's not capricious. He, he's not just flippant. He, he doesn't just kill to kill. No, when, God, when the hammer, when judgment comes, and no one likes to talk about this today because no one likes to think that God is a God of judgment. He's a God of grace and a God of mercy, a God of salvation, first and foremost. But because he's a God of love, he also has to judge unrighteousness. That's another part of his character that none of us want to see. And thank God, if you're in Christ, you'll never see that. So to me, that ought to make us smile. So everybody, on three, smile. One, two, three. That's right. You smile because you're on the right side. And see, we want to bring other people to the right side. We want other people to come, right? To come into the fold of God. To come to an understanding of their sin nature and how it's an offense to God. And if they don't turn from that, there is no hope for them. But God wants to give them hope. And see, you and I have the greatest hope. That's why we smile so big, or at least we ought to, right? And again, in Genesis 15, verse 13, here's another great verse you might want to commit to memory, at least the the reference, because this was a long time ago, uh, even to the day that we're speaking of right now in, in Joshua's time. Uh, hundreds of years prior, God said to Abraham, he says, Know certainly that your descendants... So God is speaking to Abraham. He says, Know that your descendants will be strangers in a strange land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. And who was that nation? Egypt, right? They spent 400, actually 430 years in Egypt, and then God judged them. Afterward, they shall come out, the the children of Israel, with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, but you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There's the grace of God again. So, God is a God who loves. He doesn't like to destroy. The Bible says that God's judgment is actually his strange work. He doesn't like to do it. It's not something that he enjoys doing. The Bible even says God does not delight in the death of the wicked, and neither ought we. When we see somebody going astray, when we see somebody in a, uh, going down an, uh, a path, we, who are spiritual, hopefully, we should go after them, run after them, and tell them, and warn them, and love them, and tell them the truth. Ultimately, they have to make the decision. You can't make anybody do anything. But aren't you glad that you made the decision and that you're here tonight? Your heart has been made right with God, and you're destined for glory. With all of your mistakes, with all of your sin issues, confess and be cleansed and be healed and let the Lord minister to your heart, right? But the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the soul who sins shall die because God's perfection. He is perfect, and he says, you be holy, for I am holy. And that's a big, tall order for us. And the only way that that can be accomplished in our flesh, it can't be accomplished in the flesh, actually. It can only be accomplished through Christ. If we are in him, God sees the blood of Christ over us, and he sees the work done in and through us. And so that is the thing that we have to remember. And as a result of that grace, we ought to 
draw close to him often, confessing our sin and drawing close to him because of that grace. So verse 4, back in our text, So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore multitude, with very many horses and chariots. Josephus, the Jewish historian, he says at this time that this northern confederacy consisted of 300,000 infantry soldiers, uh, uh, 10,000 cavalry troops, and 20,000 chariots. So if that estimate is true, you're talking a lot of people and a lot of horses and a lot of chariots. Horses and chariots, which Israel never had. They never came, they never owned any such thing. The Egyptians, they were big into that, but God told the Israelites that they weren't to amass horses or chariots. His warfare was going to be supernatural, and he would lead them into battle. And he would show himself strong even when they seemed outgunned and outnumbered and outmaneuvered. God would have his way. And then it goes on in verse 5 and it says, And when all these kings had met together, they came and they camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. So finally they get together. And this Lake Merom is this area right to the northwest of, of the Sea of Galilee today. There is a stream, and then there's a waters that go up to Merom, and so it's right on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. This is where all of those kings had gathered together. And, but it says in verse 6 now, But the Lord said to Joshua, and I love this, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time, notice, I will deliver them, I will deliver them, all of them slain before Israel. And you shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. need you to notice a couple of things, first off. The first thing is, notice the promise that God had given to him. And the promise is this, do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow, about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. What a great promise. You know, God had been so faithful in every campaign of theirs, to tell them, do not be afraid, I'm going with you. How many times in the book of Joshua does God say, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, I'm with you, do not be afraid, I'm with you? There's quite a few. I haven't counted them, but there's a lot. Because they were afraid, and naturally so. But with God, and you, is a majority. Is a majority. So first, he promises and that fills their heart. And what great encouragement this must have been for Joshua and the Israelite army as they were on a roll. But they never took it for granted. They learned that the hard way at Ai, didn't they, when they got chased out because of their sin. They realized that they had to be obedient. This whole thing was predicated on obedience to God. Do what I tell you to do. Do it in the way that I tell you to do it, and there will be success. And that was the ingredient. And that's true for us in life, too. You know, you can go your own way, and God gives you the ability. You're, a, you're a, a mobile person. You can do what you want with your life. But the greatest blessing is found when you submit your heart to Christ, and you know him, and you're submitted to his will. There's nothing greater and more joyful than being in the will of God. I know that for myself because I'm having the time of my life. I, I so love what I get to do. I get to do. It's not that I, you know, I don't even want to do this. But now that I'm in it, I am so blessed. I'm happier and more contented and blessed than I've ever been in my life because I'm serving him. And I know he's got me where he wants me with all of my issues, too. He loves me and he loves you and he's got a plan for your life. And it's our great joy to find out what that is and then serve him with all of our heart. Don't look back and do it with all of your heart, right? 
So the first thing is the promise. I'm going to be with you. And you remember, um, and this was encouraging too, because in Numbers chapter 14, this was when Israel was first going into the promised land while Moses was still alive. You remember that he had sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan. Ten had returned with a bad report, and only two, Caleb and Joshua, the Joshua that we're talking about now, Those are the only two that came back with a good report. But notice what it says in Numbers 14, verse 9. God speaking, he says, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, and their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do not fear them. That was actually uh, Caleb and Joshua's uh, encouragement. Don't be afraid of them. They're our bread. God has given them into our hands. They're, They're toast. I like that. They were our bread. They're our toast. They're nothing. And see, Caleb and Joshua knew the wonderful mystery that Paul the Apostle spoke to the Romans. What did he say? He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And folks, we need, and today, and we, the, the day that we live, we need to remember this because so many people are discouraged. So many Christians are discouraged because things aren't going the way they planned. Because they, uh, many of them have never plugged into and, 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 and asked the Lord for his will to be done in their life. And they've never submitted themselves to him. And so when life goes on and things go wrong, they never stop to ask why. They never stop to ask, where did I go wrong, Lord? They blame God and they think, well, you, you must not be God. You allowed my aunt to die. You allowed my mother to die. You allowed my wife to get cancer and I'm done with you. They don't have a clue of what God's heart is. But they won't ask, and they won't submit their heart to him. But if God be for us, who can be against us? There's not a thing, there's no demon in hell that can come against you unless God is allowing it for a reason, and he's not going to leave you comfortless. He's not going to leave you unguarded. He is going to take care of you. And if you're a child of God, you have no, nothing to fear. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? We have to remember that because things get twisted and weird, especially today. But notice the second thing that he did. It was a very unique command relating to this specific battle. And God had never said this before, but he says, You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Hamstringing horses means going behind the horse's leg and cutting that large tendon like your Achilles heel, right? Because when that's done to a horse, they're useless. They, they, you know, they can still live and they can still get around and eat, right? They can still function, but they, they're, they're no good for war anymore. And why would God do such a thing? Could it be that after they would destroy these, this confederacy in the north and have all these chariots and horses at their disposal, wouldn't the great temptation be to take them unto yourself and say, now we can really clean up? We got these horses, we got these chariots. Man, we can slap those babies on those chariots and we can really do some damage. We don't even need the Lord anymore. We can do it in the flesh. And God is saying, I know you a little too much. I know you guys a little too much. I know exactly what you're thinking, so this is what you're going to do. You're going to hamstring those horses. What? And you're going to burn those chariots. What? But, Lord, we could be more effective. Lord, we could have a better plan. Lord, I've got a better plan. I've got a better plan. Oh, do you, Rob? Do you have a better plan? Let's see it. Let's see what you do with it. Sometimes he allows you to go through with your plan, and then you realize what a mess your life can be 
If only you had submitted your heart and been obedient, you could have circumnavigated circum, uh, around the learning curve that now you've got to go through. You've gone off this way, and now God's going to bring you back, but now you've got a few more years you've got to deal with. And God says, you know, if you would have just listened to me, we could have gone from there to there in a day. But now it's 40 years. Isn't that what happened with them in the desert? It was because of their heart. They weren't ready. They came out of Egypt, but getting Egypt out of them was the thing that took 40 years. Same thing with us. So the reason for the hamstringing of the horses and burning of the chariots is that the Lord did not want them to take them for themselves, and as a result, trust in the horses and trust in the chariots rather than God. What does Psalm 20, verse 6 say? It says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven, yet or with the saving strength of his right hand. And verse 7 is the one. It says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's a great psalm, a great verse to remember. Psalm 20, verse 7. That's a great one to remember, folks. Psalm 20, verse 7. And it also echoes the same thing in Isaiah 31, verse 1. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. And in Israel, in their history, they had the same problem. Whenever they came across troubles from other nations, they would always run to Egypt for help. And what does Isaiah say? Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But who do not look to the holy but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord? It's a funny thing with us people is that when we get resources and we think that we can accomplish something in the flesh, we're more apt to do it in the flesh, or at least try to the first time, rather than check with God. It's one of the wonderful things about David. He wasn't a perfect man, but there were battles where he would do a certain thing, and the very next time they were the Philistines, there was a passage in the Bible where the Philistines gathered in the same exact place, and, and David didn't presume based on what happened before, that they were going to do the same thing. He says, God, what do I do? Should I go up against them? And God says, yes, you shall. Well, what should I do? Are you going to deliver them into my hand? Surely I'm going to deliver them in your hand. Well, what's the battle plan, God? Do we go out as we did before? And God says, no. Wait till you hear the threshing in the, in the mulberry trees. And when that occurs, you ambush them. Different battle strategy by God. The battle goes well. And David is a hero. It's always better to trust in the Lord rather than horses and chariots and things that, are, that make sense to us in the natural. Sometimes the things that God would ask us to do defy some of those things. In our weakness, he is made perfect. In Israel, in its history, they had a penchant for going to Egypt for help. They always did that. It was sort of like the lucky charm in their pocket. When things got hard, they could run to the world for help. And that dishonors God, doesn't it? He wants to be your all in all. When you're going through something, go to him first. If you get sick, certainly go to the doctor. But, you know, sometimes, as long as you're not bleeding to death, sometimes it's good to just stop and say, Lord, would you heal me? I know I could go to the doctor. I could get the antibiotic. But would you go to him first? Go to him first, and then if you have to go to the doctor, there's no sin in that. But go to him first. He can do anything. 
Going on in verse 7, he says, So Joshua and all the people of Orc with him came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. So in this area, this, this, this Lake Merom, uh, in the northwest part uh, of Galilee, uh, or northwest of Galilee, I should say, they came upon them suddenly. See, Joshua and Israel, they didn't wait for them to come out against them. The armies were just getting together. They were starting to hatch their battle plan against this nation of Israel. And Israel and Joshua didn't wait. They weren't going to sit back and wait for them to get their act together. They went out and hit them in the infancy of their strategic planning. In fact, some of the greatest military leaders in history have done this very same thing. Napoleon and Alexander the Great were notorious for doing this kind of strategy. They would hit the enemy when they least expected it. They would hit him suddenly. It would just be like a sudden onslaught. And that is the kind of thing that God led them to do. In verse 8, it says, And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon. And Sidon is in, in the very north of, of Israel. Sidon is actually north of Lake Hula. If you took the Jordan River going straight up and then go immediately west over to the Mediterranean Sea, right there on the coast is Sidon. Sidon. And so they would chase them to greater Sidon, to the brook Misrephoth, which is uh, a lake that is, or, or I'm sorry, a, a location on the Mediterranean as well, uh, north of Sidon. And they attacked them until they left none of them, none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Boy, they learned that lesson, didn't they, in Ai or in Jericho. Instead of just um, being disobedient and taking the wedge of gold like Achan did, and taking the Babylonian garment and the wedge of silver, you know, God tells them to do something. You need to hamstring their horses. I know you're going to see that as a valuable resource to you guys, because, boy, you could really use it. Can you imagine that, that kind of power? I mean, they had the, if they had the horses and the chariots and God with them, I mean, they could take over the world. But God says it's not going to come down that way. Remember Gideon? When the enemy was coming against Gideon and his army, God had to whittle down the army to 300 guys. You're not going to get this by a lot of people, Gideon. You're going to get this by, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And boy, that's such a hard thing because any one of us in the natural would choose to rather have a great large army rather than having it being whittled down to 300 men with pitchers and torches. You'd have to trust the Lord at that point. And then he would get the glory at the end. But Joshua was faithful. He was obedient. He hamstrung their horses. He burned their chariots. Verse 10, Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck it with the sword. For Hazor, Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. Hazor was a large town. It was a large city. And as they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them, there was left none breathing. And then he burned Hazor with fire. In fact, when we go to Israel, as we go up to the, as we go up north to a, a military outpost up there and up up around Lebanon, and we get up there in a military outpost, and you can actually see Syria. We we literally stand on this big mountain hill like thing, and you you look down the hill, and there's Syria. And then you look straight ahead of you, and there's Mount Hermon, and you look over here, and you see Lebanon, and over here is the, the valley of, of Israel. And so, but on the way there, you pass by the ruins of this city that we're talking about tonight, Hazor. 
It's on a mound. They call it a tell. It means that several civilizations, several cities have been there, been destroyed. They build on top of them, they're destroyed at some point by enemies or whatever, and then they're destroyed. Then they're built again, and then they're destroyed. So there's all these layers of these different cities, and Hazor was one of those. Jericho is like that as well. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.